Christ is that ultimately we bear fruit for Jesus. Uh, bear fruit for Jesus. And, and so that's, yes, the fruits of the Spirit in our life, but it's also certainly that there are other disciples that uh, follow Jesus because of our life. And so that is kind of the, uh, the, the pinnacle, so to speak, of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And there are a lot of ingredients. And, and the second distinctive is what we're going to talk about today, and that is sacrifice. Last week, uh, we looked at surrender, one of the key components of that. Of following Jesus, and remember, what does it mean to be a uh, to be saved? Well, to be saved is God's grace working in us. It's free. It is a gift He gives to us. But as we uh, encounter this gift, it changes us. And discipleship costs everything. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything. And so it's the surrender, and now the sacrifice. Uh, that comes in this. And I don't know what you think of uh, when you think of sacrifice. I, I think about animals being slain and stuff like that. And I think, well, what role does sacrifice have in the Christian faith when Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice? What is the point of sacrifice? And so if sacrifice no longer brings us to God, what does sacrifice do? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verse 13. We're going to focus on verse 13 through 34. What is the opposite of sacrifice? What was that? Carefree. All right. You could say carefree. There's several words that could come to your mind. What's the opposite of sacrifice? Carefree? Selfishness? You might say indulgence might come to your mind. I started thinking about certainly selfishness or coveting. Greed? Isn't greed the opposite of sacrifice as well? Or entitlement? Entitlement is a form of of an opposite of uh, sacrifice. It's kind of interesting to look at what are the opposites of sacrifice in our life. With that thought, Jesus is talking about money. He talked about money a good bit. In fact, over 28% of the things that he had to say was about money. And that's kind of a love-hate relationship with us, isn't it? It's like, yeah, all right, talk about it, but don't. <laughs> I already know I'm supposed to give, so don't make me feel guilty about it. Um, and so it's interesting that Jesus talked about money so much. In fact, if you looked at the very beginning, Luke chapter 12, you get the context here. Notice what verse 1 says. A lot of times we want to talk about money and what God has to say about money with just the, the folks who believe in Jesus. But that's not what Jesus did. In fact, he said in verse 1, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, and he talked about Pharisees. But that's the context when he starts talking about money. There are thousands of people around, so many that they are trampling over one another. You know, in our church, uh, when we have Easter celebration, it's, it's just as a rule, you don't talk about money. An Easter celebration because you got all these people here, and they, the last thing you want them to hear about is you say give, right? 
isn't but that's Jesus thousands of people when he talks about money in fact I, one of the things that happened my first Sunday here in the view of a call I, I preached in Proverbs chapter 3 and one of them was about giving and I had one of the search committee said why did you do that you're talking about giving and tithing on your view to call. I said, "Well, it's just in the Bible, you know. Uh, it's just we don't want to hear about that." But here, Jesus is all these people around, and he starts talking about money. And the reason why is because money seems to be several things of meaning to God and to us. Now, does God need your money? <laughs> no, God does not need our money. So why is he talking about money? Because we put so much into money. We invest money with all kinds of things. Our faith, our hope, and our love is revealed by our money. That's, that's pretty big. It, didn't, it seems like there's some scripture about that. Faith, hope, and love. These are the cardinal virtues, isn't it? And, and they all reveal, are, are revealed in how we use our money, our faith, our hope, and our love. And so it's pretty, pretty important. God doesn't really care about our money, but he does care about our faith. He does care about our hope, and he does care about our love. And so that's why he talks about money, because we invest money with all, all of his faith, hope, and love. And so... Uh, he he uh, takes this situation that comes to him and spends a good portion of that time teaching on the issue of money, which is going to be about sacrifice for us. Now, um, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. Matthew, uh, Luke, chapter 12, verse 13. Just a perfect question right here question many of us can relate to someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me but he said to him man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you and he said to them take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is, this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not rayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where not thief approaches and not moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may be seated. Now it's true that it does not mention anywhere the word sacrifice here. But when there's a call to sacrifice, I think this text speaks to the heart of our resistance. Why we do not like to sacrifice, why we don't want to sacrifice, and, and what money means to us, and what things mean to us. And so it, it's important for us to get at the heart of why we don't sacrifice. Now, it is true that as we look at surrender, sacrifice is a natural flow of that. Once we surrender all, sacrifice is going to come somewhat easy, or easier, but sacrifice is the point where it tells us, have we surrendered? Have we surrendered? And so, as we look at this, I, I want us to notice, uh, I cannot do this text in, in, in the way it needs to be done. This is a big picture, a big picture. I won't be able to go in details. But when we look at sacrifice, it is the question simply here. Do we believe that there is an eternal kingdom? Do we believe that? Do we believe that there is an eternity? And so, if that's true, then it stands a reason that the spirit is more important than the physical. Is that true? The spirit is more important than the physical. So now we're saying things that we can agree on because we know the, the Bible. Now there's some of you who are here who think, well, okay, I can get that there is an eternal thing. But what that eternity looks like, I do not know. I just want to bring some words to your attention. If there is eternity, you need to search it out and know what is said about eternity. And I would present to you that Jesus is an authority and is the best source that you can get to to find out what eternal things might be. Because as he's the only one who's died and come back and told us about it. I just want to present to you that Jesus might be the source that you need to look at in considering these things. And if there is eternity, then everything in your life matters right now. And the, or the question that you answer, or the answer you bring to that question is what is eternity and what does it look like? And how you spend your day, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, the little bit that you've got, is ultimately answered by what you believe about eternity. It's funny how in this world, there's many people in the world that they may say that there is eternity, but they don't really believe that there is an eternal thing. And it's funny how it's so reversed. 
You can talk about any number of things. But you start bringing up money and the money they make. They say, well, that's a private matter. I don't want to talk about that. I was reading this past week and and they were bringing how backwards things are. How in American society, in celebrity society, your bed life is very public and freely given. But your private life, your your business life is not disclosed. For the Christian who believes in eternal things, the bed life is sacred. Not given freely. And money is freely given. But when you do not believe in eternal things, the bed is freely given and money is hoarded. Isn't that interesting? How it's so opposite. And so, Let's look at this. I want to just bring out some some conditional statements. First, if there is an eternal kingdom of God, then sacrifice is our window to life. If there is an eternal kingdom of God, then sacrifice is our window to life. Notice this in verse 13 through 21. Jesus makes some pretty powerful statements. First, first notice the request. uh, Someone comes up to him and says, will you set my brother straight? Will you fix my brother? We're in an inheritance squabble, and I'm going to tell you, anytime there's death, you can expect conflict within your family. It is so common, and a lot of times it's going to be about stuff. And Jesus was in this situation where someone comes up to him, and why did they come to Jesus? Usually he went to the Sanhedrin. Jesus wasn't part of the Sanhedrin. I believe that he went to Jesus because Jesus talked about money. And so he says, will you, will you settle this? Will you fix my brother? He's not doing right. He's not giving me what I should get. There's so many things within that question. First of all, Jesus is going at it. He says, you need to understand, life isn't about stuff. He, he hits right at the heart. Your money's sick. And so is your brother. Your money's sick. So let me fix the money sickness. And then second, what's implied here is, you know what? Your joy isn't wrapped up in whether your brother's going to treat you right. Have you ever tried to think about this? Has anybody tried to fix you? Here's, here's, here's the, the compliment, all right? If someone's trying to fix you, then they're saying to themselves, you know what? If this person would just act right, then I can have greater joy. They're putting a lot of value on you, aren't they? Be encouraged. They value you. They value you too much. They're putting so much in you that they think, I'm going to have joy only if they act right. So you pray for them. You pray for them. All right? Be encouraged because someone's praying for you. All right? Because you've tried to fix someone. I try to fix people. So here they are, this guy saying, fix it, Jesus. Fix it, Jesus. And then he has this kind of amazing statement. He says, man, who made me judge or arbitrator of you? And I'm thinking, well, aren't you judge? You are the judge, Jesus. Well, well, the Father made you arbitrator. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm not going to deal with this at this point. Because there's a greater problem. And I'm going to focus on the greater problem that will cure your money sickness. I, and what's interesting is the word arbitrator is the word divide. Will you divide it for us? 
And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to be your divider. But interesting, when you look down, just in the same chapter, in the same conversation, he says, I am a divider. I'm not going to divide this money. But you look down at verse 49, 51. I'm not going to divide this money, but I'm going to divide you. This is, I, I came to cast fire on the earth. Would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. There will be division, father against son, son against father, mother and daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He's, he says, I'm not going to divide your money. I'm going to divide your family. I'm not going to divide this money. I'm going to divide you. There's a baptism I must be baptized with. You see, Jesus is bringing this question. Do you believe that there's a difference between spirit and physical? Do you believe that it all hinges upon Jesus? Do you believe that there's eternal and temporal, that it hinges upon Jesus? And Jesus is saying, until you let me divide you over that, until you get divided about this, and that your family sees you differently because Jesus is now your hope, until that happens, I'm not going to deal with this money question. Because when you believe that Jesus is the hinge upon eternity, then the money question isn't going to be that big of a deal for you. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to be your divider over here, but let me divide you here. Isn't that interesting? I'm not your divider, but I'm your divider. Until we're divided over Jesus and all our eternity is hinged upon Jesus, then we can't go to God for who he is. We're always going to use God and say, Jesus, will you fix the money problem for me? Jesus, will you fix my brother for me? Jesus, will you fix the inheritance for me? And Jesus is saying, you know what? It's not about that. It's about me. That's audacious, isn't it? Jesus is saying that? <laughs> says, your, your father is going to be divided over you. And you're going to be divided over your, with your son because I am more important than your father, your mother, your son. That's crazy statements to be made by a normal human being. He's not a normal human being. He's God. And he's making claims that fit it. And so that's, that's the context here. And so he says, verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. It's interesting that he says, be on guard against it because covetousness is blinding. It's deceitful. You can get into coveting, greed, that's another way for saying greed, and not even know it. Not even be aware of it. it it's not like Jesus had to say, be on a guard against adultery because we, it's obvious. But greed is something that sneaks on us. And so, for those of you this morning that would say, you know, I don't really have a problem with greed. <laughs> You're the one who needs to hear this the most. Because it's deceitful. We're blinded. And Jesus says, be on guard against this. Now, I love how verse 15 ends. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, for those of us who don't have much possessions, we take a lot of comfort out of that. <laughs> well, thank God. I can still live life. But it's interesting. We're blind. Remember, it's deceitful. We're just deceit he, in fact, he goes on and talks to the person who's struggling with having enough. He says, you know what? You think you have to have more to have life. 
That's not the case. He talks about the one who takes pride in the stuff that he has, takes identity in the stuff that he has. He says that's not the case. One's life is not consistent of things. And so sacrifice, there, when we follow Jesus, there's going to be moments and times when he's going to ask us to give of what we have. And we're going to either hold on tighter because we think, no, that's my life. I can't give that. Or we're going to see this as an opportunity to let eternity come in. Now, I use this phrase, uh, the sacrifice is our window to life. Now, uh, this is a, well, maybe a few days ago before, po- before pollen clouds came in. This is a beautiful season to be outside. After just a tough winter, and it seemed like it wouldn't end, and you see things budding, and the birds singing, and it's cold in your house, and so you open up the window and let the sun come in. And then pollen comes in. <laughs> but yeah, for just a few seconds, wasn't it delightful? Just a little bit of sunshine into our homes. Well, in our life, we can be blinded and sheltered by temporal, physical things. And if we're not careful, we think that all that is in this temporal house is all that is. But every once in a while, you'll hear the birds of eternity singing of love. And sacrifice, when God calls us to obey, that will involve some sacrifice, is a way of opening up the window and saying, God, there is more to life than cars and, and, and checking accounts and mutual funds and clothes and food and pantry and shopping. We need that. We need One of the reasons why, as a church, we... We want to have tithing and offerings is because it gives us opportunity to open up the window to say there is eternity. And it's a, a check for us that our heart isn't absorbed by these things. And so if there is an eternal kingdom of God, then sacrifice is our window to life. And so now he gives this interesting story. He says, tells them a parable that the land of a rich man produced plenty and basically he had a lot of stuff coming in he had a lot of crops and and so the question with all this stuff that came he says i have been blessed there's a lot of things come what do i do with all these blessings and here's the thing that we often get into is we think when salary promotions come when increases come in we ask ourselves or we tell ourselves how can we make our life more comfortable how can i have a better lifestyle that's what we do. And that's what this man does. He says, how, how, all this stuff, I, I don't have room for all this. So what am I going to do? I'm going to make bigger barns so I can have more stuff. And then it's the question, he, or what he brings to us is his, in verse 19. He says to my soul, soul, I have ample goods. They're laid up for many years. I don't ever have to worry about money again. I'm going to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I want a comfortable lifestyle. This is, God, if you don't know, we are, we drink this. We breathe this. We're in America. This is the source of this mentality in present day world all over the world. And it's exported from America. Coming up. We all deserve a happy, comfortable life. And so that's what this man. So what does God think about that? Verse 20 tells us, God said to him, fool, 
As far as I can tell, this is the only place I've seen in the Bible where there's a direct statement from God saying to someone, you specifically, individually are a fool. (laughs) That's tough. You know, it's one thing for my child to tell me a fool. Well, you don't, you're a fool yourself. You don't know. You're like, you don't know. But when God tells you, how do you argue with that? The other passage you see is, is where the person says there is no God, but he's a fool. But it's a statement, not from God to someone. It's a statement in the word of God. But here, God is telling someone individually, you're a fool. Why is he doing it so foolish? He simply believes that life is all wrapped up in the everyday temporal, physical world. He doesn't act like there is an eternity. And how do we know? Because how he spends his resources. It's how we know what he believes. And God says, fool. That's pretty tough. Verse 21. He he says, well, you're going to die. Verse 20. Full this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? You've lost it all. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We are living on a bubble. That's it. We're living on a bubble called your life, your time. And you can build mansions on that bubble. You can build boats and cars. And you can have mutual funds. And you can have all kinds of things. And you keep on doing. But, but understand it's still a bubble. And it's going to pop. It's not wrong to have those things. It's wrong to hope in those things and to think that they're there just for yourself. Take those things, take those possessions, and find ways to invest it in eternity. Verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The good news is that we can be rich toward God. How do we become rich toward God? He will answer that before it's all over with here. So now we go to verse uh, 22. And this tells us the second conditional statement. If there is an eternal kingdom of the Father, and I want to focus, the Father. This is not just an eternal kingdom of God, but the Father, your Father. If there is an eternal kingdom of the Father then sacrifice is our window to trust. Our window to trust Him. So understand that, one, when we sacrifice, it's life coming in, it's eternal life. It's to say, I'm not wrapped up in these things. I'm seeking God, and I'm living life, and I'm getting the joy of eternity. And so there is life in that. And now, uh, when there's sacrifice, if I believe that this, this eternity is actually God's kingdom and that God is my Father, when there's moments of trusting in God and not trusting in stuff, it gives me opportunities to trust my Father, your Father. It's a window where normally we are self-reliant, totally dependent on things around us. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be dependent on God. It's, it's interesting when... Uh, uh, outdoor stuff, guys that love camping and love hiking, there is a great value in saying, man, how can I just make it on my own? I, I'm going to try to carry the least amount of things possible and see if I can survive for a couple of days. I'm going to get my own uh, meat and I'm going to start my own fire. And, and there's, there's, there's something about it, isn't there, guys, to say, you know, that would be kind of neat if I can just 
know how to do that, these outdoor survivor skills, and not have to have all this stuff. How can I go and stay somewhere without a bunch of things? Because things fail. I mean, what if your lighter falls into the water? I mean, there's things happening. And so the survivalist is that, there's that, uh, the if-then, the survival cases. You know what I get here is that Jesus is saying, you want to survive? You want to be a survivalist? Just go with me. You don't have to have these things for joy. You don't have to have these things for for hope. You don't have to have them for life. You're just going to have to trust me. And so that's why Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he talking about? He's not talking about whether he can run a race, whether he's doing some physical activity. He's talking about living without stuff and living with stuff. I've learned how to live without stuff, and I've learned to live with stuff, and it doesn't really matter if the stuff there or it's not. I've got God. I've got Christ, and I can live with Him. He's always with me. That's, that's what Philippians 4.13 is talking about, is that secret of contentment is found in Christ, not in your, th- in your things. And so if that's true, then sacrifice is a way to demonstrate our trust in the Lord. So what does Scripture have to say here? Let's read verses 23 through 28. He says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, nor about your body, what you put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So life is more than the abundance of things. And now he says life is actually more than food and clothing. And sometimes we want to debate that. (laughs) It doesn't look like a very good life without clothing and food. But he's saying, but there's life still. Apart from these things. And don't worry about the things you need. So he goes on, he says, Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And if then you're not able to do the smallest thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And so I, I, I share with you before how when we read this passage, we think, well, we don't have a lot of stuff. And when the Bible says that life is, is more than the abundance of things, that makes us feel good because we don't have a lot of stuff to begin with. First, we might debate that. <laughs> Anytime we've had salvage or uh, those clothes exchanges, we have gotten, you know, you bring your excess clothes, we have got storehouses. It takes us years to get rid of the excess stuff you guys bring to us in just like a weekend. So we might debate whether we have a lot of stuff. But regardless, as we look at this, he says, trust me in this. And if you feel like you others have more than you, don't be anxious about this. Debt is as much as a symptom as money sickness as it is having a huge savings account more than you would ever need. Either one of them are reflective of a money sickness. To say that, man, i got to have all these things and I don't have the money for it, but I'm going to get these things anyway and so I'm going to go in debt for them. And so it reveals as much of a money sickness as someone who may not have all these things, but they have a lot of money, a lot of numbers in their account. That says I have to have all this to make me feel secure. Either way, it's a money sickness. And it says, look, anxiety is a problem. And so we are sacrificing as a way to trust God and to get rid of the anxiety. 
Anxiety is based on your performance and whether or not you can do it. God's saying you can't do it, so don't even go there. Trust in God. And so we'll keep on reading this and consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Anxiety is a trust problem. It's a sin. He is simply giving you a command. Don't be anxious. Trust God. How do you demonstrate that? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Do what God's called you to do. What he's told you to do. We're going to look a little bit more of how that is directed. So as we keep on reading, there's, there's another conditional statement, verses 29 through 34. If there is an eternal kingdom of the Father, and the emphasis here is on eternity, if there is an eternal kingdom of the Father, then sacrifice is our window to love. Love. Okay? So we've seen before how, how we use our money and sacrifice reveals what we trust in, what our faith is in. Uh, before, as we looked at before, of, of the abundance of things, it can reveal what we hope in and to have some sense of identity based on the stuff that we have. And then as we look at this, it tells us what our love is, where our heart is, verse 29 to 34. Do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He's saying, when you trust God this way, when you sacrifice, it makes a difference in society. People notice it. Everybody wants to say they love people, don't they? I mean, who really wants to go around saying, I don't really love people around me. I, I'm, I'm intolerant of others. No one wants to say that. And, but the, see, the difference is, is what you actually do with your money. One of the things in the early church history, of what, took, what people took notice in the church was, is that they actually did use their resources to help others. That was unheard of. And it's still, you know what? If we do that as a church today, it would blow people away. And there's a big challenge here as a church. We have resources. The question is, are we using the resources for eternity? I want to put that question before us as a church. And I, I feel uncomfortable doing that because I receive through the church. But I'm just going to present to you, we need to ask as a church and all the accounts and money and things that we have given, that God has given through us, given to us, what does God want us to do? with money that has been given. And that's just a question we need to be praying about. Knowing that there is eternity and that there is temporal and that we're on a bubble of time. I did not plan to say that. But I think it's perhaps something that we need to think about as a church body and pray about that question. So, as we keep on reading here, all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And so when we start sacrificing, giving, that nations of the world notice that and realize they're not trusting the same thing we're trusting in. 
What's their source here? Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What is in God's kingdom? What does God have rule over? Is there a limit to that? The resources are there. Trust in God, not in the stuff. He wishes to give you the kingdom. Our, our hope is in God, that he is our father, and that this is eternity. And so we, in sacrificing, are, are responding to who God is. And so it brings love to the table. It helps us to love God more. It helps us to love God more. And so, verse 33, how do we invest? How do we do this? How do we take money that's on a little bubble that's going to pop in any moment and take things and houses and, and stuff that's going to pop and everything's going to employ in a little bit? How do we take these things off the bubble and put them into a solid ground of eternity? How do we do that? Jesus says, in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And so you ask me, okay, pastor, um, what did he really mean? <laughs> what, what's the other interpretation of that? You know, there's not many words there. Eight words. They're all pretty simple. Sell your possessions. I don't, I don't want to be sarcastic here, but what word do we not understand? I think the challenge is we don't want to. That's the challenge. It's not that we don't understand it. We don't want it. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Didn't he just tell you right there how to take your stuff off the bubble called time and put it in solid ground of eternity? You see, what is eternity? What, what is eternal around you? Nothing that you're sitting on. Nothing that we're sitting under. Nothing that you're holding. The book is an expression of the Word of God, and that goes on forever. But this book would deteriorate. The Word of God would not. What, what is eternal here? Me and you. Others are eternal. And so when we take our stuff and invest it in Love to God demonstrated through others. It's amazing. It gets translated off the bubble into solid turf. Where no moth can deteriorate, no robber can take away, there is no disappointment. What Jesus is saying is if you give out of love, you will not lose anything. But I always depended on that if statement. If there is an eternal kingdom of God. 
those questions that were so easy to us to begin with? Do you believe in eternity? Do you believe the spirit is more than the physical? Not so easy to answer now. I, uh, in preparation for this, I was looking over some of my old notes of a uh, mission trip I went on. Last time I went to India was 2011, which, by the way, Finney Matthews will be here with us. Uh, next Sunday we'll be doing uh, Easter. We'll have Easter message, and the Sunday after that, Finney Matthews will be back with us um, and, and sharing with us then. And then Brother Gaddis Perry will be here with us for our homecoming uh, uh, anniversary. But I was there with Finney. 2011, and, and I was with some pastors, a group of 17 pastors, and I'm just going to read to you the journal um, that I wrote at that time. Monday and Tuesday, I got to spend my mornings teaching a group of 17 pastors uh, and leaders in Lucknow. It was, real g- it was great to be able to interact with these men from India and Nepal. They, in turn, helped lead as many as 20 men in cell groups. I asked them to give illustrations of what it meant to surrender. One man shared how they surrendered their buildings to be fired by the Hindus, but would not stop worshiping. Another man was asked to stop. They did not, so they forfeited benefits to their children as well as their buildings. One man gave up the benefits of an upper class family to follow Christ. Another gave up opportunity to get into a prestigious and well-paid job. I have given up so little in my walk for Christ. I measure my sacrifice in how many times I don't get out, don't go to eat out on vacation destinations. I was watching the Gandhi film on the flight back, and one character made a profound statement. Gandhi's wife said, I get my dignity from following my husband. This is a true statement. We get our importance from knowing our place under the authority of God. I was putting these things together three years ago, I guess. And I was struck with how little we sacrifice. I mean, really. It's just sacrifice looks like, I guess we're not going to go out to eat. Or maybe we won't go on this vacation destination. Believers there, the sacrifice was, hey, the building was fired by Hindus because we wouldn't stop worshiping. It's funny how we're different when people threaten us to take away our buildings, but when no one threatens us, we don't give the building. It's funny how when, when people threaten our children or threaten our religious liberties, how we're different, but when the religious liberty is always there, how we tend to lack in giving. What's the authority of God in that? Our dignity is not found in the clothes we wear, the places we go out to eat, the cars we drive, the homes we live in, and how much is in our accounts. Our dignity cannot be found there. They're just bubbles. They're going to break. They're going to pop, and they have no lasting value. Your life is not found in these things. Our dignity is not found in and how much stuff we've got to meet our needs. God can do that. Do we believe that? 
Are we willing to open up windows in our week, in our life, and say, let there be sacrifice. Let me see the kingdom of God in my life. Let me see faith in my life. Let me see love in my life. Because as I invest in heaven, my heart will follow. My heart will follow. I remember we uh, got to be with my grandfather just two or three days before he died. Granddad Batten, and uh, I was it was I was living away at the time. Just a few days there before, and I just quoted Psalm twenty three with him. I knew he was listening, and it dawned on me as I was leaving there. I was thinking, man, I'm not going to see him again. Thinking, but just in a few days, and it was just a few days, he was going to be in the presence of the Great Shepherd. It is surreal to be with someone like that in that moment in time. To know where they're going. Everything's left behind. Death is a great equalizer, isn't it? It is a test to see where our treasure has always been. Death will come to us. You prepare for it now. Lay up your treasure in heaven. And when following Jesus would demand sacrifice, use it as a place to say, let life be here. Let love be here. Let faith grow here. Because after all, I do believe that there is an eternal kingdom of my Father. Let's pray. Christ is that ultimately we bear fruit for Jesus. Uh, bear fruit for Jesus. And, and so that's, yes, the fruits of the Spirit in our life, but it's also certainly that there are other disciples that uh, follow Jesus because of our life. And so that is kind of the, uh, the, the pinnacle, so to speak, of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And there are a lot of ingredients. And, we, and the second distinctive is what we're going to talk about today, and that is sacrifice. Last week, uh, we looked at surrender, one of the key components of that, of following Jesus. And, and remember, what does it mean to be, a, uh, to be saved? To be saved is God's grace working in us. It's free. It is a gift he gives to us. But as we uh, encounter this gift, it changes us. And discipleship costs everything. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything. And so it's the surrender and now the sacrifice uh, that comes in this. And I don't know what you think of uh, when you think of sacrifice. I, I think about animals being slain and stuff like that. And I think, well, what role does sacrifice have in the Christian faith when Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice? What is the point of sacrifice? And so if sacrifice no longer brings us to God, what does sacrifice do? Well, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verse 13. We're going to focus on verse 13 through 34. What is the opposite of sacrifice? What was that? Carefree. All right. You can say carefree. There are several words that could come to your mind. What's the opposite of sacrifice? Carefree. Selfishness. You might say indulgent. Might come to your mind. 
I started thinking about certainly selfishness or coveting, greed. Isn't greed the opposite of sacrifice as well? Our entitlement. Entitlement is a form of, of an opposite of uh, sacrifice. It's kind of interesting to look at what are the opposites of sacrifice in our lives. With that thought, Jesus is talking about money. He talked about money a good bit. In fact, over 28% of the things that he had to say was about money. And that's kind of a love-hate relationship with us, isn't it? It's like, yeah, all right, talk about it, but don't. <laughs> I already know I'm supposed to give, so don't make me feel guilty about it. Um, and, and so it's interesting that Jesus talked about money so much. In fact, if you look at the very beginning, Luke chapter 12, you get the context here. Notice what verse 1 says. A lot of times we want to talk about money and what God has to say about money with just the, the folks who believe in Jesus. But that's not what Jesus did. In fact, it said in verse 1, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, and he talks about Pharisees. But that's the context when he starts talking about money. There are thousands of people around, so many that they are trampling over one another. You know, in our church, uh, when we have Easter celebrations, it's, it's just as a rule, you don't talk about money on Easter celebration because you got all these people here, and they, the last thing you want them to hear about is you say give, right? Isn't, but that's Jesus, thousands of people, and he talks about money. I, in fact, I, one of the things that happened with my first Sunday here in the view of a call I, I preached in Proverbs chapter 3, and one of them was about giving. And I had one of the search committees said, why did you do that? You, you're talking about giving and tithing on your view to call? I said, well, it's just in the Bible, you know. Uh, it's just we don't want to hear about that. But here Jesus is all these people around, and he starts talking about money. And the, the reason why is because money seems to be several things of meaning to God and to us. Now, does God need your money? <laughs> no, God does not need our money. So why is he talking about money? Because we put so much into money. We invest money with all kinds of things. Our faith, our hope, and our love is revealed by our money. That's, that's pretty big. Didn't, didn't you? It seems like there's some scripture about that. Faith, hope, and love. Those are the cardinal virtues, isn't it? And, and they all reveal, are, are revealed in how we use our money. Our faith, our hope, and our love. And so it's pretty, pretty important. God doesn't really care about our money, but he does care about our faith. He does care about our hope, and he does care about our love. And so that's why he talks about money, because we invest money with all, all of his faith, hope, and love. And so uh, he, he uh, takes this situation that comes to him and spends a good portion of that time teaching on the issue of money, which is going to be about sacrifice for us. Now, um, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. Matthew, uh, Luke, chapter 12, verse 13. 
just a perfect question right here. A question many of us can relate to. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is, this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not rayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flocks, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where not thief approaches and not moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may be seated. Now, it's true that it does not mention anywhere the word sacrifice here. But when there's a call to sacrifice, I think this text speaks to the heart of our resistance. Why we do not like to sacrifice, why we don't want to sacrifice, and, and what money means to us, and what things mean to us. And so it's important for us to get at the heart of why we don't sacrifice. Now, it is true that as we look at surrender, sacrifice is a natural flow of that. Once we surrender all, sacrifice is going to come somewhat easy or easier. But sacrifice is the point where it tells us, have we surrendered? Have we surrendered? And so as we look at this, I, I want us to notice uh, I cannot do this text in the, in, in the way it needs to be done. This is a big picture, a big picture. I won't be able to go in details. But when we look at sacrifice, it is the question simply here. Do we believe that there is an eternal kingdom? 
Do we believe that? Do we believe that there is an eternity? And so, if that's true, then it stands to reason that the spirit is more important than the physical. Is that true? The spirit is more important than the physical. So now we're saying things that we can agree on because we know the, the Bible. Now there's some of you who are here who think, well, okay, I can get that there is an eternal thing. But what that eternity looks like, I do not know. I just want to bring some words to your attention. If there is eternity, you need to search it out and know what is said about eternity. And I would present to you that Jesus is an authority and is the best source that you can get to to find out what eternal things might be. Because he's the only one who's died and come back and told us about it. I just want to present to you that Jesus might be the source that you need to look at in considering these things. And if there is eternity, then everything in your life matters right now. And the the question that you answer, or the answer you bring to that question is, what is eternity and what does it look like? And how you spend your day, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, the little bit that you've got, is ultimately answered by what you believe about eternity. It's funny how in this world, there's many people in the world that they may say that there is eternity, but they don't really believe that there is an eternal thing. And it's funny how it's so reversed. You can talk about any number of things, but you start bringing up money and the money they make, they say, well, that's a private matter. I don't want to talk about that. I was reading this past week, and and they were bringing how backwards things are, how in American society, in celebrity society, your bed life is very public and freely given. But your private life, your, your business life, is not disclosed. For the Christian who believes in eternal things, the bed life is sacred. Not given freely. And money is freely given. But when you do not believe in eternal things, the bed is freely given and money is hoarded. Isn't that interesting? How it's so opposite. And so let's look at this. I want to just bring out some, some conditional statements. First, if there is an eternal kingdom of God, then sacrifice is our window to life. If there is an eternal kingdom of God, then sacrifice is our window to life. Notice this in verse 13 through 21. Jesus makes some pretty powerful statements. First, first notice the request. This, uh, someone comes up to him and says, you know, will you set my brother straight? Will you fix my brother? We're in an inheritance squabble. And I'm going to tell you, anytime there's death, you can expect conflict within your family. It is so common. And a lot of times it's going to be about stuff. And Jesus was in this situation where someone comes up to him. And why did they come to Jesus? Usually he went to the Sanhedrin. Jesus wasn't part of the Sanhedrin. I believe that he went to Jesus because Jesus talked about money. And so he says, "Will will you settle this? Will you fix my brother? He's not doing right. He's not giving me what I should get. 
there's so many things within that question. First of all, Jesus is going at it. He says, you need to understand, life isn't about stuff. He, he hits right at the heart. Your money's sick, and so is your brother. Your money's sick. So let me fix the money sickness. And then second, what's implied here is, you know what? Your joy isn't wrapped up in whether your brother's going to treat you right. Have you ever tried to think about this? Has anybody tried to fix you? Here's, here's, here's the, the compliment, all right? If someone's trying to fix you, then they're saying to themselves, you know what, if this person would just act right, then I can have greater joy. They're putting a lot of value on you, aren't they? Be encouraged. They value you. They value you too much. They're putting so much in you that they think, I'm going to have joy only if they act right. So you pray for them. You pray for them. All right? Be encouraged because someone's praying for you. Right? Because you've tried to fix someone. I've tried to fix someone. So here they are, this guy saying, fix it, Jesus. Fix it, Jesus. And then he has this kind of amazing statement. He says, man, who made me judge or arbitrator of you? And I'm thinking, well, aren't you? You are the judge, Jesus. Well, the Father made you arbitrator. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm not going to deal with this at this point because there's a greater problem. And I'm going to focus on the greater problem that will cure your money sickness. And what's interesting is the word arbitrator is the word divide. Will you divide it for us? And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to be your divider. But interesting, when you look down, just in the same chapter, in the same conversation, he says, I am a divider. I'm not going to divide this money. But you look down at verse 49, 51. I'm not going to divide this money, but I'm going to divide you. And this is, I, I came to cast fire on the earth. Would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. There will be division, father against son, son against father, mother and daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He, he says, I'm not going to divide your money. I'm going to divide your family. I'm not going to divide this money. I'm going to divide you. There's a baptism I must be baptized with. You see, Jesus is bringing this question. Do you believe that there's a difference between spirit and physical? Do you believe that it all hinges upon Jesus? Do you believe that there's an eternal and temporal, that it hinges upon Jesus? And Jesus is saying, until you let me divide you over that, until you get divided about this, and that your family sees you differently because Jesus is now your hope, until that happens, I'm not going to deal with this money question. Because when you believe that Jesus is the hinge upon eternity, then the money question isn't going to be that big of a deal for you. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to be your divider over here, but let me divide you here. Isn't that interesting? I'm not your divider, but I'm your divider. Until we're divided over Jesus and all eternity is hinged upon Jesus, then we can't go to God for who he is. We're always going to use God and say, Jesus, will you fix the money problem for me? Jesus, will you fix my brother for me? Jesus, will you fix the inheritance for me? And Jesus is saying, you know what? It's not about that. It's about me. That's audacious, isn't it? Jesus is saying that. (laughs) 
your, your father is going to be divided over you. And you're going to be divided over your, with your son because I am more important than your father, your mother, your son. That's crazy statements to be made by a normal human being. He's not a normal human being. He's God. And he's making claims that fit it. And so that's, that's the context here. And so he says, verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. It's interesting that he says, be on guard against it because covetousness is blinding. It's deceitful. You can get into coveting, greed, that's another way for saying greed, and not even know it. Not even be aware of it. it it's not like Jesus has to say, be on a guard against adultery because it's, it's obvious. But greed is something that sneaks on us. And so, for those of you this morning that would say, you know, I don't really have a problem with greed. <laughs> You're the one who needs to hear this the most. Because it's deceitful. We're blinded. And Jesus says, be on guard against this. Now, I love how verse 15 ends. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, for those of us who don't have much possessions, we take a lot of comfort out of that. Well, thank gosh, I can still live life. But it's interesting. We're blind. Remember, it's deceitful. We're just deceived. He, in fact, he goes on and talks to the person who's struggling with having enough. He says, you know what? You think you have to have more to have life. That's not the case. He talks about the one who takes pride in the stuff that he has, takes identity in the stuff that he has. He says, that's not the case. One's life is not consistent of things. And so sacrifice, there, when we follow Jesus, there's going to be moments in times when he's going to ask us to give of what we have. And we're going to either hold on tighter because we think, no, that's my life. I can't give that. Or we're going to see this as an opportunity to let eternity come in. Now, I use this phrase, uh, the sacrifice is our window to life. Now, uh, this is a, well, maybe a few days ago before, po before pollen clouds came in. This is a beautiful season to be outside. After just a tough winter, and it seemed like it wouldn't end, and you see things budding, and the birds singing, and cold in your house, so you open up the window and let the sun come in. And then pollen comes in. <laughs> but here for just a few seconds, wasn't it delightful? Just a little bit of sunshine into our homes. Well, in our life, we can be blinded and sheltered by temporal, physical things. And if we're not careful, we think that all that is in this temporal house is all that is. But every once in a while, you'll hear the birds of eternity singing of love and sacrifice. When God calls us to obey that will involve some sacrifice, it is a way of opening up the window and saying, God, there is more to life than cars and, and, and checking accounts and mutual funds and clothes and food and pantry and shopping. We need that. We need one of the reasons why, as a church, we we want to have tithing and offerings is because it gives us opportunity to open up the window to say there is eternity, and it's a, a check for us that our heart isn't absorbed by these things. 
And so if there is an eternal kingdom of God, then sacrifice is our window to life. And so now he gives this interesting story. He says, tells him a parable that the land of a rich man produced plainly. And basically he had a lot of stuff coming in. He had a lot of crops. And, and so the question with all this stuff that came, he says, I have been blessed. There's a lot of things come. What do I do with all these blessings? And here's the thing that we often get into is we think when salary promotions come, when increases come in, we ask ourselves or we tell ourselves, how can we make our life more comfortable? How can I have a better lifestyle? That's, that's what we do. And that's what this man does. He says, how, how, all this stuff, I, I don't have room for all this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to make bigger barns so I can have more stuff. And then it's the question that he, or what he brings to this is just in verse 19, he says to my soul, soul, I have ample goods. They're laid up for many years. I don't ever have to worry about money again. I'm going to relax, eat, drink, and be miserable. I want a comfortable lifestyle. This is, if you don't know, we are, we drink this. We breathe this. We're in America. This is the source of this mentality in present-day world all over the world, and it's exported from America. Coming up, we all deserve a happy, comfortable life. And so that's what this man... So what does God think about that? Verse 20 tells us. God said to him, fool. As far as I can tell, this is the only place I've seen in the Bible where there's a direct statement from God saying to someone... You specifically, individually, are a fool. <laughs> That's tough. You know, it's one thing for my child to tell me a fool. You know, well, you don't, you ain't fool yourself. You don't know. <laughs> You're just like, you don't know. But when God tells you, how do you argue with that? The other passage you see is, is where the person says there is no God, but he's a fool. But it's a statement, not from God to someone. It's a statement in the Word of God. But here, God is telling someone individually. You're a fool. Why is he doing this so foolish? He simply believes that life is all wrapped up in the everyday temporal, physical world. He doesn't act like there is an eternity. And how do we know? Because how he spends his resources. It's how we know what he believes. And God says, fool. Verse 21, he he says, well, you're going to die. Verse 20, full this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? You've lost it all. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We are living on a bubble. That's it. We're living on a bubble called your life, your time. And you can build mansions on that bubble. You can build boats and cars, and you can have mutual funds, and you can have all kinds of things, and you keep on doing. But, but understand it's still a bubble, and it's going to pop. It's not wrong to have those things. It's wrong to hope in those things and to think that they're there just for yourself. Take those things, take those possessions, and find ways to invest it in eternity. Verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The good news is that we can be rich toward God. How do we become rich 
toward God. He will answer that before it's all over with you. So now we go to verse uh, 22. And this tells us the second conditional statement. If there is an eternal kingdom of the Father, and I want to focus, the Father. This is not just an eternal kingdom of God, but the Father, your Father. If there is an eternal kingdom of the Father, then sacrifice is our window to trust. Our window to trust Him. So understand that, one, when we sacrifice, it's life coming in. It's eternal life. to say, I'm not wrapped up in these things. I'm seeking God, and I'm living life, and I'm getting the joy of eternity. And so there is life in that. And now, uh, when there's sacrifice, if I believe that this, this eternity is actually God's kingdom and that God is my Father, when there's moments of trusting in God and not trusting in stuff, it gives me opportunities to trust my Father. Your Father. It's a window where normally we are self-reliant, totally dependent on things around us. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be dependent on God. It's, it's interesting when uh, uh, outdoor stuff, guys that love camping and love hiking, there is a great value in saying, man, how can I just make it on my own? I, I'm going to try to carry the least amount of things possible and see if I can survive for a couple of days. I'm going to get my own uh, meat, and I'm going to start my own fire. And, and there's, there's, there's something about it, isn't there, guys, to say, you know, it would be kind of neat if I can just know how to do that, these outdoor survival skills, and not have to have all this stuff. How can I go and stay somewhere without a bunch of things? Because things fail. I mean, what if your lighter falls into the water? I mean, there's things happening. And so the survivalist is that there's that uh, if-then, the survival cases. You know what I get here is that Jesus is saying, you want to survive? You want to be a survivalist? Just go with me. You don't have to have these things for joy. You don't have to have these things for for hope. You don't have to have them for life. You're just going to have to trust me. And so that's why Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. But what's he talking about? He's not talking about whether he can run a race, whether he's doing some physical activity. He's talking about living without stuff and living with stuff. I've learned how to live without stuff, and I've learned to live with stuff. And it doesn't really matter if the stuff's there or it's not. I've got God. I've got Christ. And I can live with him. He's always with me. That's, that's what Philippians 4.13 is talking about is that secret of contentment is found in Christ, not in your, in your things. And so if that's true, then sacrifice is a way to demonstrate our trust in the Lord. So what does Scripture have to say here? Well, let's read verses 23 through 28. He says, for, uh, he says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, nor about your body, what you put on. For life is more than food. And the body more than clothing. So life is more than the abundance of things. And now he says life is actually more than food and clothing. And sometimes we want to debate that. <laughs> it doesn't look like a very good life without clothing and food. But he's saying, but there's life still apart from these things. He says, and don't worry about the things of this world. And so he goes on. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have a storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And if then you're not able to do the smallest thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And so I, I, I share with you before how when we read this passage, we think, well, we don't have a lot of stuff. And when the Bible says that life is, is more than the abundance of things, that makes us feel good because we don't have a lot of stuff to begin with. First, we might debate that. <laughs> Anytime we've had salvage or, uh, or clothes exchanges, we have gotten, you know, you bring your excess clothes, we have got storehouses. It takes us years to get rid of the excess stuff you guys bring to us in just like a weekend. So we might debate whether we have a lot of stuff. But regardless, as we look at this, he says, trust me in this. And if you feel like you others have more than you, don't be anxious about this. Debt is as much as a symptom as money sickness as it is having a huge savings account more than you would ever need. Either one of them are reflective of a money sickness. To say that, man, i got to have all these things and I don't have the money for it, but I'm going to get these things anyway, and so I'm going to go in debt for them. And so it reveals as much of a money sickness as someone who may not have all these things, but they have a lot of money, a lot of numbers in their account. That says I have to have all this to make me feel secure. Either way, it's a money sickness. And it says, look, anxiety is a problem. And so we are sacrificing as a way to trust God and to get rid of the anxiety. Anxiety is based on your performance and whether or not you can do it. God's saying you can't do it, so don't even go there. Trust in God. And so... We keep on reading this, and consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Anxiety is a trust problem. It's a sin. He is simply giving you a command, don't be anxious. Trust God. How do you demonstrate that? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Do what God's called you to do, what he's called you to do. We're going to look a little bit more of how that is directed. So as we keep on reading, there's, there's another conditional statement, verses 29 through 34. If there is an eternal kingdom of the Father, and the emphasis here is on eternity, if there is an eternal kingdom of the Father, then sacrifice is our window to love. Love. Okay? So we've seen before how, how we use our money and sacrifice reveals what we trust in, what our faith is in. Uh, before, as we looked at before, of, of the abundance of things, it can reveal what we hope in and have some sense of identity based on the stuff that we have. And then as we look at this, it tells us what our love is, where our heart is, verse 29 to 34. Do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He's saying, when you trust God this way, when you sacrifice, it makes a difference in society. People notice it. Everybody wants to say they love people, don't they? I mean, who really wants to go around saying, I don't really love people around me? I, I'm, I'm intolerant of others. No one wants to say that. And, but the, see, the difference is, is what you actually do with your money. One of the things in the early church history of what took 
what people took notice in the church was is that they actually did use their resources to help others. That was unheard of. And it's still, you know what, if we do that as a church today, it would blow people away. And it's a big challenge here as a church. We have resources. The question is, are we using resources for eternity? And I want to put that question before us. As a church, I feel uncomfortable doing that because I receive through the church. But I'm just going to present to you, we need to ask as a church and all the accounts and money and things that we have given, that God has given through us, given to us, what does God want us to do with That's just a question we need to be praying, knowing that there is eternity, and that it is temporal, and that we're on a bubble of time. I did not plan to say that, but I think it's perhaps something that we need to think about as a church body and pray about that question. So, as we keep on reading here, all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And so when we start sacrificing and giving, that nations of the world notice that and realize they're not trusting the same thing we're trusting in. What's their source here? Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What is in God's kingdom? What does God have rule over? Is there a limit to that? The resources are there. Trust in God, not in the stuff. He wishes to give you the kingdom. Our, our hope is in God, that he is our father, and that this is eternity. And so we, in sacrificing, are, are responding to who God is. And so it brings love to the table. It helps us to love God more. It helps us to love God more. And so, verse 33, how do we invest? How do we do this? How do we take money that's on a little bubble that's going to pop at any moment and take things and houses and, and stuff that's going to pop and everything's going to implode in a little bit? How do we take these things off the bubble and put them into a solid ground of eternity? How do we do that? Jesus says in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And so you ask me, okay, pastor, um, what did he really mean? <laughs> what, what's the other interpretation of that? You know, there's not many words there. Eight words. They're all pretty simple. Sell your possessions. I don't, I don't want to be sarcastic here, but what word do we not understand? I think the challenge is we don't want to. That's the challenge. It's not that we don't understand it. 
don't want. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, and no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Didn't he just tell you right there how to take your stuff off the bubble called time and put it in solid ground with eternity? You see, what is eternity? What, what is eternal around you? Nothing that you're sitting on, nothing that we're sitting under, nothing that you're holding. The book is an expression of the Word of God, and that goes on forever. But this book would be here, the Word of God in us. What, what is eternal here? Me and you. Others are eternal. And so when we take our stuff and invest it in love to God, demonstrated through others, it's amazing. It gets translated off the bubble into solid no moth can deteriorate, no robber can take away, there is no disappointment. What Jesus is saying is, if you give out of love, you will not be in disappointment. You're not going to be disappointed. But I always depended on that if statement, if there is an eternal kingdom of God. These questions that were so easy to us to begin with, you believe in eternity? believe this spirit is more than the physical not so easy to answer them I uh in preparation for this I was looking over some of my old notes of a uh, mission trip I went on last time I went to India was 2011 which by the way Finney Matthews will be here with us uh, next Sunday we'll be doing uh, Easter we'll have Easter message and the Sunday after that Finney Matthews will be back with us um sharing with us then, and then Brother Gaddis Perry will be here with us for our homecoming and our uh, anniversary. But I was there with Finney, 2011, and, and I was with some pastors, a group of 17 pastors, and I'm just going to read to you the journal um, that I wrote at that time. Monday and Tuesday, I got to spend my mornings teaching a group of 17 pastors uh, and leaders in Lucknow. It was, real g- it was great to be able to interact with these men from India and Nepal. They, in turn, helped lead as many as 20 men in cell groups. I asked them to give illustrations of what it meant to surrender. One man shared how they surrendered their buildings to be fired by the Hindus, but would not stop worshiping. Another man was asked to stop. They did not, so they forfeited benefits to their children as well as their buildings. One man gave up the benefits of an upper-class family to follow Christ. Another gave up opportunity to get into a prestigious and well-paid job. I have given up so little in my walk for Christ. I measure my sacrifice in how many times I don't don't go to eat out or in vacation destinations. I was watching the Gandhi film on the flight back, and one character made a profound statement. Gandhi's wife said, I get my dignity from following my husband. 
This is a true statement. We get our importance from knowing our place under the authority of God. Just putting these things together three years ago, I guess. And I was struck with how little we sacrifice. I mean, really. It's just sacrifice looks like, oh, I guess we're not going to go out and eat. Or maybe we won't go on this vacation destination. And believers there, the sacrifice is, man, the buildings were fired by Hindus because we wouldn't stop worshiping. It's funny how we're different when people threaten to take away our buildings. But when no one threatens us, we don't give the buildings. It's funny how when, when people threaten our children or threaten our religious liberties, how we're different. But when the religious liberty is always there, how we tend to lack in giving. What's the authority of God in this? Our dignity is not found in the clothes we wear, the places we go out to eat, the cars we drive, the homes we live in, and how much is in our accounts. Our dignity cannot be found there. They're just bubbles. They're going to break. They're going to pop, and they have no lasting value. Your life is not found in these things. Our dignity is not found in, in how much stuff we've got to meet our needs. God can do that. Do we believe that? Are we willing to open up windows in our week, in our life, and say, let there be sacrifice. Let me see the kingdom of God in my life. Let me see faith in my life. Let me see love in my life. Because as I invest in heaven, my heart will follow. My heart will follow. I remember we uh, got to be with my grandfather just two or three days before he died. Granddad Batten, and uh, I was was I was living away at the time, and just a few days there before, and I just quoted Psalm twenty three with him. I knew he was listening, and it dawned on me as I was leaving there, thinking I'm not going to see him again. Thinking, but just in a few days, and it was just a few days, he's going to be in the presence of the Great Shepherd. It is surreal to be with someone like that in that moment of time. To know where they're going, everything's left behind. Death is a great equalizer. It is a test to see where our treasure has always been. Death will come to us. You prepare for it now. Lay up your treasure in heaven. And when the following Jesus would demand sacrifice, use it as a place to say, let life be in. Let love be in. Let faith grow here. Because after all, I do believe that there is an eternal kingdom in my heart. 